watch, isn't it? It's kind of hard to watch, especially right after we sing that song. That even in all the trouble, help us not forget. We all have storms that fill our lives, don't we? That storm is intense. You know, here in the Midwest, we have thunderstorms and tornadoes, don't we? How many of you have experienced a tornado within like 500 yards of you? Raise your hand. A number of us. It's kind of a freaky, exciting, yet terrifying experience, isn't it? I remember the first time that I experienced a tornado was when my parents had probably left me for the first time at home, elementary school age, and I'm really excited to be home, and and, uh, they actually took cover somewhere. They called me and said, go to the basement. There's a tornado hitting the area. And so immediately, I go upstairs to the the porch to go check it out. And... uh, Sounds like a good kid, doesn't it? And uh, so I go out, and the sky is a green, greenish black. And I'm looking around, and I look behind in my backyard, and there it is, a tornado tearing up a house behind us. Now, it's, it's probably a few hundred yards away, but I can see it, and I tell you, I went to the basement then. And it was interesting, you know, tornadoes, they do weird things because it didn't touch our house, it didn't touch anything near our house or even our neighborhood. It was the neighborhood that was next to ours, but that house that that was being torn apart, it was basically, it ended up being a duplex, and I remember about half of it was gone. And so we have all sorts of storms that hit our lives. We have lightning storms, we have thunderstorms, we have ice storms. Uh, We have tropical storms, we have hurricanes, uh, we have climate like earthquakes, all these different things that happen. We all heard about the terrible tragedy in Branson, didn't we, at Table Rock Lake, where a number of people lost their lives. It's hard to even think or imagine. You know, in many articles, they talk about that storm, they use the word squall, And basically, we're going to see that in our scripture today, that word, and it's a storm that just comes out of nowhere in an instant. And we want to continue to pray, obviously, for those family members that lost uh, loved ones. Uh, But as we look at the, the context of scripture in Mark chapter 4 today, it's all wrapped up in the midst of a storm. And so remember this video, the intensity of that. Remember the things that you have experienced in your own storms, but also realizing that this is an illustration of the storms that hit our lives. Right now, some of you may be coming here and you're in a storm in your life that you never would have imagined that you could be in. And I want to encourage you, I hope and I pray that this message is especially for you. Those that are experiencing a grief, a loss, a turmoil that would have never thought to be part of their life. So if you want to turn with me or look up here, if you don't have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to bring your Bibles. Um, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. This is what the Word of God tells us. It says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. 
Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And his disciples said to him, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come together and we can worship you because we know that you inhabit the praises of your your people. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for promising never to leave us or forsake us, even in the midst of storms, even in the midst of things that bring terror to our hearts and our minds. Help us as we go through your word today and that your Holy Spirit will fill in the gaps for each individual that is here in different situations in life. Knowing that you have a purpose in all things, And in all things, we hope that our lives would glorify you in those purposes and in the circumstances of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Mark chapter 4, this is the most detailed account of this scripture. Uh, This account is also in Luke 8 and Matthew 8. And what's been going on is that Jesus has been teaching parables all day long. Now, I've only taught all day long standing up a few times, and it is exhausting. It really is. It's, it's like eight, ten hours, and most likely we're talking six, eight, ten hours he's been teaching all day long. We only get a little glimpse of the parables he's been teaching, but you can see what's going on. The multitudes have gathered, and Jesus, once again, he teaches, not on dry land, but he teaches in the boat. So there he is. He's hopped on the boat, and he's been teaching all day long. It's interesting and kind of handy that he chose some of his disciples, not necessarily because they were fishermen, but because they were fishermen, he had access to boats, didn't he? We think of Peter, we think of John, we think of a few others that they were fishermen, weren't they? And they were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is an amazing lake, basically. And this lake, uh, known today as Lake Kinneret in Israel, is the lowest freshwater lake on the planet. It's very unique in a lot of different ways. 682 feet below sea level. And this, these unique conditions basically make an abundance of food source there. So you could see, especially in Jesus' time, that this was the sea was where life revolved around. And you had fishermen, you had other people. This is where they got their food. This is where they got their sustenance. Um, It's about 13 miles by eight miles, and it's surrounded by mountains. Take a look at the picture up here. Um, Beautiful, modern-day picture. Just a gorgeous, gorgeous area. You see the mountains. Uh, They range from 1,500 to 3,000 feet. A lot of uh, different people have planted their homes and businesses around it now, but it is just a beautiful landscape. But it's surrounded, it's almost like a bowl. And uh, as, as you look at it, it's interesting. It's fed by hot springs, but mainly from the Jordan River. If you take a look at the map that I have up here, it's interesting that you'll see all sorts of names. If you, you read through the Gospels, you have Capernaum uh, to the north, you have uh, Tiberias to the south, you have Bethsaida uh, to the north, but you see all the way up there at the very top, Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon, water source is coming down through Jordan River all the way to the Sea of Galilee. It even passes through another lake 
So you see so much of Jesus' life is revolved around this. And his disciples, we have John, we have Peter, we have Andrew. There may have been three more who were actually, actually fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. And they would have personally experienced the uniqueness of the sea. They would have experienced those times when they pulled in so many fish. It was outstanding, outstanding. And their business would be booming. There was also times when they would go out and they would find nothing. The, the, the lake is only, the Sea of Galilee is only about 80-some feet deep. It's not really deep in most places. But you see what is going on here as the disciples have encountered the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is on the boat, and as they're going through the teaching and they're finishing up the day, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side. So he sends the crowds home, and he, is this, he and his disciples, along with others, wishing to follow Jesus and to see what's going to be next in his ministry, are following him in other boats. So you can kind of imagine what this is. You have Jesus in his boat with some of his disciples, or all of them, and maybe some of the other disciples in some other boats, and they're traveling across the Sea of Galilee. It's interesting that we see a number of stories where they just go back and forth, back and forth. So much is done in the Sea of Galilee. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the boats, but it's interesting. I want to point this out. There's a picture also of the boat. Um, This isn't the boat necessarily that Jesus was in, but they actually pulled this up from the Sea of Galilee years ago. And um, you see the hole. It could fit about 15 to 20 people in there. So we're not talking a really small boat. We're not talking a cruise ship either, are we? And, uh, you know, it's funny. When they dug this up, they labeled it the Jesus boat. They got tons of, tons of uh, publicity and different things like that. But this would have been a boat similar to what the disciples had. It would have been a sailboat. They would have had oars in the boat. Um, and so you kind of get the picture, don't you? All day in the boat. Jesus doesn't hop on land to go change clothes or anything, but no, they just set off. The crowds have been dismissed. They're sailing along. Luke tells us they are sailing. They're not, they're not roaring. They, they have a gentle breeze that's taking them where they want to go. And Jesus, after a long day of teaching, he falls asleep. That makes sense. I see a few of you yawning right now, you know. Um, and uh, it, it's interesting, I mean, We get tired from work, right? This is the truly human Jesus who's exhausted, who's weary. But yet, he's the very one that created the water, isn't he? He's the very one that created the sky. He's the one that created the wood that the boat was made of. He even created sleep and rest. And now, he employs all these things for his own benefit. And he falls asleep. All the boats trailing behind, maybe ahead and beside his boat. And you can imagine the disciples had to be at ease. Just a calm. Jesus is sleeping. The boat's sailing. We can rest. All we got to do is make sure we're going in the right direction. Everything is calm. Have you ever had life where everything's calm? There's some comfort, there's some security, there's peace. You're just resting. I want to stop there. That's a good spot, isn't it? 
there's moments in our life and that's the way it is. But there's also moments, as we saw in that beginning video, where the waves are hitting us, our boat's going under, and we're trying to survive. You know, my, my family and I, we had an opportunity recently about a month ago to go sailing. We have never been sailing. We've been out on a few boats on different lakes and things like that, but we've never been sailing. Um, the opportunity arose, my wife, Jody, she is a bone marrow transplant nurse coordinator at KU Cancer Center. And so she encounters most people when they're in the midst of life and death decisions. And it's very difficult. But at times, she'll really, really connect to some of the patients. And one patient they connected to really good. They became friends uh, outside the time of treatment and everything else. And a beautiful lady she was. And during that time, her and her husband had invited us a number of times to go sailing. And a lot of times you're thinking, oh, they're just being nice, but they continued to persist on going sailing with them. Well, unfortunately, that patient passed away, but Mark, her husband, continued to ask us to go sailing. And so we finally took him seriously and said, okay, you know, when, when do you have the opportunity to take a sailing? So we ended up going to Washington, Anacortes, Washington, and, and uh, we hopped on his 40-foot sailboat. And for five days, we went sailing, and we learned how to sail. Um, it was a very interesting experience. It actually gave me a little bit more insight on what's going on here and how you move around a boat when you're in the way, um, get out of the way, all these different things, the different things that have to happen to put up a sail and take down a sail. It was very, very interesting. Very appreciate Mark taking us on that ride. I want to show just a couple short videos of my daughter, who's 12, and my wife, who I won't give the age. Um, and they are sailing. This is after a little bit of practice. Mark was quite confident in our abilities for some reason to catch on really, really fast because we didn't realize what we were getting into. And, uh, but I want you to watch the facial expressions because there's big smiles and then there's serious. And then there's big smiles again, there's laughing. I don't know if you can hear it. You'll probably hear wind. The sea isn't that rough, but the wind is uncontrollable, okay? You can't control the wind. It's tricky. And you'll hear maybe a few comments from my daughter, too, um, but I'll, I'll let them play. Here you go. girl. Why are you leaning so much in the picture? I'm supposed to be healing, Troy. Stay strong. Bella, this is kind of It's interesting, you didn't hear Bella's comments, but she's like, this isn't fun now. 
And, uh, and then she was blaming my wife, Jody, her mom, for stop doing that. And the, the reality is what happened, we were sailing along, and all of a sudden the wind took a different direction, and we go like this. And what can happen is that you can, it can push you back the other direction when your sails are on the wrong side, and that is a bad deal. And so it's, it's funny, Mark's in there with a big old smile. I missed it when you see the video go down. It's because I'm holding on. And, uh, um, but interesting that, you know, peaceful, fun, enjoyable time. You see Jody's face also become really, really serious because she has to do certain things in order to maintain control of the boat. Well, we have a very, very intense situation going on here with the disciples. This isn't some uh, five-day fun sailing trip that they're getting to do. Peaceful, restful, after a long day, Jesus sleeping and everything changes in an instant. Have you ever happened that in life where you're sailing along and everything is under control and everything changes in an instant? For the disciples, there was no warning. A furious squall came up and there were waves breaking over the boat, filling the boat up. They had to be drenched. They had to be exhausted. We're talking about a wind that could be up to 70 miles per hour. Mark told us when the captain of the boat, he told us that anytime boats hit over 20, he doesn't put the sails up. Could you imagine having sails up and a 70 mile per hour wind starting to develop around you in an instant? They're going to tear everything up, aren't they? In Matthew, in the same story that we're reading today, it uses the word earthquake. So we have a number of things going on. We have this horrendous wind. We have the shaking of the earth. We have the waves. This is one of the worst storms that may have hit the earth. We don't know. That may be an exaggeration. I'm not sure, but it is an intense storm, and it has come out of nowhere. Now, this wasn't unusual for the Sea of Galilee, that an intense storm would come because of how the mountains are, how low it is, that it would come, and then it would go. But the reason we can call this a miracle is something I'm going to point out in a, mon- in a minute. But they went from a place of secure calm to an intense panicking for their lives. Matthew tells us, Mark tells us, that in spite of the storm, Jesus remains asleep. In spite of the storm, Jesus remains asleep. That seems... Uh, That seems strange, doesn't it? Are you getting the message? (laughs) You know, this isn't the first time in history of the world that someone has felt like Jesus didn't have a concern for them or what was happening in their lives, where they felt like God was asleep. God was asleep. Do you realize that where Jesus was sleeping was right in the place where everything needed to happen to maybe save the boat. He was in the helm. He was in the captain's spot. And he was sleeping. He had a cushion. He was comfortable. And there is this raging storm going on, and somehow he is asleep. It makes absolutely no sense. You could see if the disciples had time to think about this, they would have felt abandoned, confused, uncared for. Have you ever felt like that? I have. 
in the midst of struggles and sufferings and losses of life, where are you, God? I know you're here, but it doesn't seem like you're here. I know you're not asleep, or maybe you are asleep, but I know you're still active. You know, even though Christ was asleep in this storm, as he lay in the helm, as he was in the place of the captain, some might say he was in the way of salvation, but a right perspective says he was in the perfect place to bring salvation, wasn't he? A guy named George Herbert expresses it in a hymn. Let me read this to you. When winds and waves assault my keel, a keel is a vessel's hull, he doth preserve it. He doth steer. Even when the boat seems to most to reel, storms are the triumph of his art. Though he may close his eyes, yet not his heart. You know, you see this in life. There may be winds and waves that are hitting you back and forth, and yet God can be our refuge. God can be our strength. He can be our fortress. And he can be the one that we say, I'm not putting my hands on that steering wheel. Even when it seems like everything's breaking apart, when the boat is full of water, how George puts it's amazing. Storms are the triumph of his art. How many of you have a wonderful testimony of God's faithfulness that has come out of tragedy in your life? I know many of you have. I know I have. And even though, as George puts it, he may close his eyes, his heart is completely wide open to us, his people who have put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So despite the chaos in your life you may be experiencing, God is completely aware and he is in complete control. Completely aware and in complete control. Jesus rested in his Father's embrace. Because he knew that his father was completely aware of the situation and was completely in control of the situation. The disciples, they have nowhere else to turn. It's pandemonium. It's an all-consuming panic. The sails most surely rip to pieces. The oars give no hope for the disciples to muscle themselves out of this pending disaster. They're yelling over the wind and the crashing water, teacher. Do you not care that we're perishing? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In Luke it says, Master, Master, do you not care that we are going to drown? In Luke it says, Lord, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? You know, it almost seems harsh. It almost seems like they're rebuking Jesus, doesn't it? And yet Jesus, in his kindness and in his grace, He doesn't really respond to that because he understands desperation. He understands when we aren't thinking clearly. He has grace for all of that. There's no doubt that he does. There was a freedom in their relationship because it was a relationship that he allowed them. And when they approached him in their all-consuming panic, that fright, that terror, Christ simply stands up. He stands up. You can see him in the boat, getting up from the cushion, from the captain's spot, and he stands up. 
And I bet you immediately their hearts had to calm just a little bit. But I bet you even before he said anything, I'm thinking Matthew 18, 14. He is not willing that any should perish, much less any of these little ones. He desires none to perish. None. In this instant or in this day today, none to perish and be separate from him. So he wakes up from his deep sleep, not because he's terrified of the storm, right? He's not terrified at all. But he wakes up because of the cries of the disciples. It's good when we cry out to the Lord. Because we have a God that hears our prayers. And he simply stands up and he rebukes the wind and he speaks to the waves. Quiet, be still. You know, Mark says it became completely calm. The words there really don't do a complete justice. I don't know if any of you have been to like Schlitterbahn or Oceans of Fun where you have the wave pool. And I haven't been for years, but in the wave pool, you know, everybody's excited for the wave start. The wave start, and you're, you're messing around in the waves, and then you hear that they're over, but the waves keep going for a little while, don't they? And so when a storm hits a sea, a lake, um, the storm may go away, but the waves are going to be intense for a while. That's just how it works. But there's a number of Greek words that express something very different that not only the wind and the storm quit, the waves completely quit. That is strange, isn't it? That is extremely strange, and just like Jesus, isn't it? They stopped at the same time simply by him speaking. You know, these men who had been on the Sea of Galilee, they understand what should be happening here. Oh, a storm can come and it can go pretty quick, but the waves continue. They could have continued to such a degree that the boat still tore apart. You know, remember, they're in the boat. It's full of water. They are drenched. They are exhausted. They are afraid that they're going to drown, and yet the earth's shaking no more. The winds have died down to nothing, and the waves are completely calm. It's like a pond that is completely calm, perfect for skipping rocks. And Jesus stands up and says, why are you afraid? Do you have no faith? Do you have no faith? Here is Christ rebuked the wind and he rebukes the waves, but he also rebukes them, doesn't he? He rebukes them for their fear. Now, come on. I mean, we saw that video in the beginning, right? If you were on that boat, you're going to be afraid? Oh my goodness, absolutely. We're going to be terrified. We're going to be terrified. And yet, Jesus asks this question, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the reality is, that the reason he asks that is because he's with them. He's with them. It's like, it's almost like he's saying, how is it that in this matter you have no faith? That you think I wouldn't intervene? That's a good question for all of us, isn't it? You know, we have, made, have put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life, and we're walking with him. But there's those areas in our life where we have no faith. We have no faith in this particular matter. It's too terrifying. It's too discomforting. It's too painful. And so we don't have faith in that matter. 
And yet God wants to intervene in it all, in it all. So we should be on guard, shouldn't we, in entertaining those thoughts that say Christ doesn't care about us in this matter. Because Christ has got a problem with it, doesn't he? He's got a problem with it as we see in this. So the chaos may or may not be stilled, but don't miss God's purpose in it for you. You know, that's the thing about this, uh, this whole story is that, you know, it ends, it, you know, the, the storm goes away, the sea is calm. We want that to happen every single time when we pray, Lord, help me. Don't you care? But that doesn't always happen, doesn't it? The disciples enjoying the gentle breeze across the sea after a long day. Jesus taught his parables all day long, and suddenly they're fearing for their lives. Jesus calms the storms, calms the wind. You would think the disciples would respond with something like, Lord, we'll never fear again. We'll always have faith in you. We're not going to worry about anything. We've seen enough. We're convinced. Does that happen? No, it doesn't. I mean, we know even if that came out of our mouth, we'd be like, I don't know if I can keep that promise. You know, it'd be pretty convincing to be there that God is in the boat. Jesus, Jesus calmed everything. And can you imagine how quiet it was? Terror in their hearts and their minds was the disciples doing whatever they can to keep the boat together. The wind, the rain, the waves, the noise, and all of a sudden, quiet. What's more terrifying than having a storm outside your boat is having God in your boat. The reality of that is terrifying. That's enough to panic the disciples, and it does, because they went from terror of the storm and of drowning to terror of who is this man? He even can command the wind and the waves. You remember a similar story in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus encounters Peter, and Jesus says to Peter, who's been fishing all night, hadn't caught a thing, and Jesus says, you know, throw your net on the other side. Jesus says, well, because you say so, even though you're not a fisherman, you, he didn't put all that in, but really, you got to think, Peter's thinking, you're not a fisherman, why are you telling me to put it in the other side? But because you say so, Jesus, I'll do it. And Peter throws the net on the other side, and they have this abundant amount of fish, so much so they can't even pull it in. And what's Peter do? He falls on his knees. He says, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. Leave me. That seems strange, doesn't it? I mean, Peter wants to be close to Jesus, but once he gets close, he realizes how sinful he is and the wickedness that's in his own heart and how holy Jesus is. Jesus doesn't leave him, does he? No. Jesus, when we are afraid and we want to withdraw from him, he comes close and he embraces us. Psalm 55, 22 says this. It says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. 
First Peter 5.7, Peter speaking here, cast your care on him because he cares for you. So who is this man that commands the winds and waves? He's not only a man that was sleeping at the helm of the boat after a long, tiring day of teaching, but so much more. He's the creator of all things. He is God Almighty. You know, many times, if you've been going to church for a long time, there's a familiarity that sets in, isn't there? There's a familiarity with one another, with church, with the habitual routine that we go through, and even with Jesus. Because it's right, we do have a friend in Jesus, but sometimes that familiarity clouds a clear view of who God is in his majesty, in his power, and in his holiness. Because when we get that picture, even if we are in a storm that we saw like in the very beginning, where the boat is going under and the waves are swallowing us up, There may be some fear, but the trust that we have in God is so much more, no matter how it ends. Despite the chaos, I want to remind you, in your life, you may be experiencing, God is completely aware and in complete control. The chaos may or may not be stilled, but don't miss God's purpose in it. In this story, God's purpose was this, to fully know who Jesus was. You know, the disciples each day continued to walk with him, and who Jesus was became clearer and clearer and clearer, and it should be the same for us. You know, Jesus didn't live a life of just cruise ship sailing, did he? No, it was a life that was on mission, full of adventure, full of pain, full of loss. His very family didn't understand him. The Pharisees and scribes thought he was demon-possessed. He had people strategically trying to kill him and to shut him up. That's a life full of a lot of storms, isn't it? At one point, close to the end of his days on earth, it was night again, and Jesus is reclining at a table. And he says to the 12, the inner circle, he says, truly, I want to tell you something. One of you will betray me. Oh, my goodness. Talk about a storm. Have you ever experienced betrayal? Here Jesus is in the midst of knowing someone's going to betray him. And it's interesting that all of them say, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, it's the one who dips his hand into the bowl with me. He will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better if he had not even been born. So then Judas, we knew it was coming. The one who would betray him say, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus says, you have said so. Could you imagine the broken heart? Even though Jesus knew the broken heart of Jesus. And so they eat and they take bread. They give thanks. And when he broke the bread, he said, take and eat. This is my body. Knowing very soon his body would be broken on the cross. That very soon that he would be going through excruciating pain. 
And then at that same time, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he had given it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. It's what we do, what we're going to do today. Communion. Remembering what he's done in the midst of a storm. You know, it was just a little bit after this that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, pray that you're not overtaken by temptation. And you can see Jesus not pacing, you know, in his prayers, um, but on his knees, on his face. It says that he sweat blood. I mean, excruciating prayers. And he says, Lord, if this cup, if it can be any other way, let's do it that way. The crown of thorns, the lashings, the insults, the humiliation of being naked upon a cross, nails, suffocating. There can be any other way, but not my will. Your will will be my will. It's, it's amazing that in the midst of the storm, you have Jesus once again displaying perfect trust, perfect trust in his heavenly Father. That's the challenge to us is we're going to be playing a few songs as we take communion. Communion's in the back, and as we do that, I just want everyone to just uh, be in prayer and be challenged with the question is, like, do you trust him where you're at today? You know, for some of you, that means, do you trust him for salvation? Because God sent his only son, his only son, and he died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sin. But the cool thing is, is that it doesn't end there. That's where the, the story that seems so tragic, it doesn't end there. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And see, God has a wonderful way of making broken things, almost destroyed things, into a beautiful thing. And that's what he does. That's what he does with us. And in your brokenness, some of you have come. In your suffering, some of you have come. In your loss, some of you have come. And the challenge is, is will you trust him? Will you trust him in that matter, the matter that you may not want to trust him with? But let me assure you, he is faithful. He is faithful. He will make it redemptive. And so I want to encourage you to trust. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to play some music. I guess there's no rush. Spend some time in prayer, your seats. We'd be happy to pray for you up front. Uh, the uh, communion's at the back. Uh, go ahead and take it either by yourself in the Lord, with family, with a friend, however you want to do that. And then when we all sit back down, I'll close us out. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much to be in your house with your people. Lord, as we take time to rest in you, even though I know many of us have come here, and we can say, Lord, teacher, master, don't you care what's happening to me? Lord, for those that are Christ, show them that you are with them 
and give them your eyes and your ears so you can hear the sweet confidence that you have over them and the redemptive power that you have in mind for them and their lives. As we take the bread, let us remember how you were broken for us. As we drink from the cup, may we remember this is a new covenant that we're part of as the children of God. Bless this time. May your Holy Spirit reign here and speak here in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to get up and uh, uh, get communion. This is about it.